welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, yeah, hello, I'm Brendan, I'm a sexaholic, and I'm very pleased to be here. I've always liked this meeting. I don't get here as often as I like, but uh, it's, a, it's a great meeting, and uh, it's a really, truly international meeting. And, uh, yeah, I, I was asked for topic for today and it just popped into my my mind no matter what and i actually take it from another fellowship where i where it's used as a regular term but it seemed to me appropriate to what for me has become the center of my project program um my program rests on a belief in a higher power and in the the fact that that higher power is looking out for for my best interests or and it might not always feel that way to me but when i trust in my higher power completely life is just so much easier so i need to remember that no matter what is happening i have a higher power and that everything is supposed to be as it's supposed to be although that's not often the impression that comes to mind. But my, my peace of mind and my ability to live peacefully in the world is dependent upon turning to my higher power no matter what. And I wouldn't have expected to ever have heard myself saying that uh, with the life that I lived previously, which was very much about doing what I wanted to do um, and getting everybody else to do things in a way that would enable me to do what I wanted to do and enable me to feel the way I wanted to feel. Um, and the idea, the very idea of sort of surrendering to some higher power, handing my, my will in life over to some higher power would have been completely off the wall for me. Um, but it's it's interesting you you know it's all there in the big book of alcoholics anonymous which is our basic text you know especially for people who are new you know we come in and we get we get the white book and we get this or whatever but in the white book it also tells us you know that the where the program comes from it comes from the big book of alcoholics anonymous and the founder of sa got sober in AA, basically with, with, with an AA sponsor. And the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous sets out a program of action, which it says that if we follow it, you know, will lead us to a place of freedom. Um, actually, it doesn't say the word freedom. What it says is recovered. And this is, you know, there's, you, you'll hear debates in meetings, you know, am I recovered? Am I recovering? Am I whatever? And I would say that 
I'm recovered. And I don't do that to be controversial. There's, oh, you're never free of this disease. I have a disease. I am a sexaholic. I do not react the same way to lust as the majority of humankind does. I have a, an allergic reaction to lust. And that allergic reaction means that when I allow lust into my system, it leads to a change in my brain chemistry and I will, it demands more and more of the same. And I will not, there isn't ever enough. There's never enough. Um, maybe at some stage early on in my acting out, there was times when it felt enough. And it felt just wonderful. And I felt just, 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 just blissful. But it felt so good, I was going to be heading back looking for more. But I have this abnormal reaction, which is what an allergy is. It's an abnormal reaction to something that other people can take um, in, 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 you know, in more measured doses, so to say. And I have this abnormal reaction, and I'm dependent on what that reaction is to be able to live in the world. I may be sounding like I'm coming a bit obtuse. I did not find it easy, you know, when I came into the world. When I, when I came in, my uncle, who was a doctor, he said to me, Brendan, he said, you came out running and you never stopped, you know. And I was just, just boom, 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 go, 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 you know. And, uh, and that can be exhausting for people that are around you. Uh, I have an energy level, which is still exhausting for many other people. And ideas flow through my head at a speed, which it's hard for me to keep up with. And it is almost nigh on impossible for other people to keep up with because I'm gone from one issue to the next issue and I'm on. And if we're having a discussion about something and I'm proposing something, if you haven't got onto that idea, I've got another one coming because you know, I know I've got the right answer. It's in here somewhere. We we'll just get it out. You know, sort of these things. And and I've had people <laughs> been in a situation of a large international meeting, and you know, and I was actually chairing this meeting with somebody else, and I'm throwing these ideas out. And at one stage, one of the delegates he said, "Stop!" Like, "Stop!" And I said, "I'm just trying to help." He says, "You're not helping." <laughs> and I said, "I'm going to try once more." You know, I'm going to try once more. You know, and and it was just that's just. Yeah, you know, that's just what I live with. I just live with this. I sort of, you know, and actually I do watch, I watch a lot of films and whatever. And I sort of say, see, it's, it's like, it's a way of shutting off what's going on inside my head. Uh, just to stop it. Meditation would probably be a more safer way of doing it. But it means I've, I've lived a life in which people have often said, could you not just be like somebody else? I grew up being told, could you not be like John or Declan or somebody else? And I thought, like, you know, why? I don't want to be like them. <laughs> you know, they're nice people. That's okay. But I don't want to be like them. You know, I want to be like me. You know, I like, I, you know, it's fun being me. I was like, Gee. I'm like, I'm good at this. <laughs> but other people didn't seem to be able to take it. And 
that kind of lent, you know, that lent the, me to the situation that when I found things that could make me change how I feel, which was somehow not fitting in, somehow, you know, not being wanted as I am, when I found something that I could take that would just wipe out the world and just leave me with bliss of some description, and I was going to take as much of this as I could get. You know, it was just, I could change how I felt. I could end up feeling, you know, at peace. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care about all the trouble I was getting into school or at home or with this or that and the other. I didn't care. You know, I didn't particularly care that I couldn't meet the, um, you know, I'll often hear people talking about how they, you know, they struggled to get the acceptance of their parents and they did everything they could. And, you know, they get high marks, they get A's, A's, A's and A's. But the one time they got a B, you know, that was it. They were no good and whatever. And they couldn't get it. I didn't bother with that. <laughs> you know, I didn't bother with it. I just like sort of, you know, I stopped early on trying to sort of get approval that way. My mother, my mother, my mother gave me approval no matter what, unless, unless the police, the school, or the priests said that I was wrong, in which case there was no discussion. I was just wrong. Now, when you get like absolute support, except <laughs> you've got this real, you've got a real problem. Because huh? I didn't have acceptance from my father, but I had acceptance from my mother. So I had to keep my mother on my side all the time. But I would get into trouble with authorities. And then she would side with them. And then I felt I was totally alone and totally sort of, you know, bereft. So I became dependent upon the approval of women. I One woman at a time, but sort of mainly. But like sort of the approval of women to give me my sense of self-worth. Huh? I had learned that, you know, it didn't matter what my exam results were. It didn't matter what these things are. My mother would just always back me yeah, against my father. But, you know, uh, the, but there were those other contingencies, the other, the other situations where she didn't. And I, I actually think that I went out and, you know, at some stage in my life, I decided, you know, my, I wasn't going to get my father's approval. He was really academic and I wasn't going to, I couldn't keep my attention on the stuff long enough. You know, it was just, no, I just couldn't keep my attention. Um, and somewhere along the way, I think I was about 17, you know, I'd been crashing through schools and I got kicked out of every school I was in from the age of 11. You know, I went through three secondary schools and, you know, I was I was dismissed from all of them, you know, probably for not turning up most of the time. You know, I was just, I just gave up on the thing. Whatever. And, and I ended up, I mean, I had been acting out myself, but I ended up acting out with with with, with a woman when I was seventeen, and and I'd been desperate for a long time to sort of thing, and and when I did, it didn't take long. Let's say, and the person stood there. I remember looking out the window, talking about their boyfriend who left for Australia, and you know, was that it? And I thought that'll never happen to me again. And within a week, I was acting out with her best friend. And I spent my life like sort of, you know, then performing in, 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 in a way, but like completely addicted to acting out. And I could not, I could not like sort of pass a day without acting out. 
And and I wasn't one of these people who stayed at home and looked at a screen. You know, I was out and about. And when I was out and about, I was hunting. That was what I was doing, you know, the whole time. And I was out and I was able to get groups of people together and a lot of fun and that, 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 that. But I was always on the hunt. And if by the end of the night I ended up on my own, that was like a bad night. That was a wasted night. And, you know, and I'm completely addicted to it. But as happens with addictions, it got to a stage where it wasn't working anymore. And I went down through and I had children and I had a thing. I had a child, but I got to a, a place where I had two children. I'd had a marriage. I'd lost the marriage. I'd lost the relationship with the mother and my son. Things weren't going well. And I got back with her at one stage and we were, we were being intimate. Now I had come across, I was already by this stage in AA. I'd come across uh, S programs. And I'd realized there was something I needed to do there, and I was trying to do it. But I was back with her, and we were together, and we were being intimate. And I found that I was watching myself. My, my, my body was being intimate with her, but I was watching as if I was somebody else. And my heart had left the building. And it was the most lonely place I could ever have dreamt of being. It was like... There is now no possibility whatsoever of ever finding peace or happiness again because the drug that worked for me for so long is no longer working because it does not work without the fantasy. And if I tried to block the fantasy so that I could be present to the person that I loved, then I couldn't be intimate. I couldn't. The whole thing had separated. So that line, which is in the in the white book of lust had killed love, lust had just killed everything. It had just, it had brought me to a really, really empty place. And that was when I decided I really had to go hook, line, and sinker at this at this program. And um, you know, I I I had eight years of sobriety in AA before I came into SA fully. And got a sponsor who basically, by that stage, I was running workshops in the fourth step for people in AA and all this thing. And he said, now we'll just stop all that guru business, Brendan. And what we'll do is like, you know, you're just nothing but a puking, mauling baby in like sort of spiritual nappies. <laughs> and you have to start again, you know, and, um, and I really did. I had to start from zero. And I had the impression that, you know, I had come into SA knowing that 12 step programs worked. And so what I was going to do was I was going to work the 12 steps and I was going to get free of all my defects of character. I was going to go back to the woman I wanted to be with. We were going to be together. We were going to be very intimate and it was going to be great, but it was going to be sober. And that was 17 years ago or whatever, and that that hasn't happened. What has happened is I'm sober, and I've been living alone and celibate for over 14 years now. And I could not have imagined, I couldn't have imagined, I, my, my plan was six months, <laughs> six months, and then like sort of, you know, we're, I'm going to be back here, sort of this thing. I would never have imagined that I would have been celibate this long. But on top of that, I would absolutely never have imagined that I could have been celibate this long and so happy in life. 
what has become apparent is the sex is actually optional. And what I've been given, what, what actually happened was I, I was so intent on trying to get the relationship back and I worked program and I worked program. And I remember sitting and, you know, listening to the Joe and Charlie tapes as I wrote out another step four. And I remember I wrote three books in this thing. And I, you know, I had a book on resentments. I had a book on fear and I had a book on sex and, and I was traveling. I was living in, 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 in the East and I was traveling and I, I, I left them in a manila envelope with ducting tape around it in a hotel for my sponsor who was flying in from another place. And when I came back, he contacted me, he says, Brendan, you do realize I'm only here for three days. <laughs> I'm here for work. You know, like, there's no way we could go through all this sort of stuff. And I was saying, you know, it's a little bit obsessive. He said a little. <laughs> I had decided that if I could find all the defects, you see, if I could find all the defects and bring them to the light, then in the seventh step, God was going to have to take them all away. Huh? I was going to be defect free and she was going to be back with me. And uh, I had really, I mean, I was just, now I was going beyond this. I was like, I was going to control God through my like sort of by, by perfect step action or whatever. And, uh, and it just didn't turn out that way. And what I was really looking for when I couldn't get the relationship back and I tried, you know, I tried with um, various different ways of making amends and whatever. And, and I was, I was really looking eventually I, I would talk to, to, to her and I just wanted to hear that she was happy with our song, like that, you know, that, she, that this and, and she would not give that up. And I would, you know, I think she knew what I was looking for. I was looking for validation from her so that I could feel okay about me. And she wasn't going to give it to me. And, you know, I could have thought, wow, well, how terrible. The truth of the matter is, is that really she did me the greatest favor that she could have done. Um, my sponsor, I remember telling my sponsor, was saying, look, you know, you know, this relationship obviously is dead. And he said, stay committed to the relationship. And I said, but, but, but there isn't a relationship. And, you know, every time I talk to her, it's just so painful. And he said, she's doing her job perfectly. And I thought, this guy's nuts. And he said, she's going to teach you unconditional love. And I thought, I don't know if I can learn that. That just sounds so painful. Because my love is conditional. I, I show you love and then you, you show me love. So I'm getting what I need. Huh? And you're saying that I should be able to, I should be prepared to give and give and give and give with no thought of what I get back out of it. I mean, like sort of reducing that. And that just seems so painful, particularly because I don't do well with criticism because I'm very fragile in my own sense of self. Any criticism at all, I feel I take as an attack. And, you know, having an opinion different to mine is criticism in my view. So I'm under attack a lot because a lot of people have different views than me. You know? and, and so life is not, hasn't been easy because I'm constantly feeling attacked. So I was wondering, what am I going to do about this? This is just, just so painful. And I, I went through a period where I listened to speaker tapes every day for three years. Uh, they were all off at site called The Lights Are On. And I was listening to the AA tapes. And I did something which was totally out of character for me. I listened to them in alphabetical order. 
And I listened in, in alphabetical order so that I wouldn't miss the good ones. I thought, like, there may be something out here. And it was in the third year, probably, towards the end of the third year, that I heard the one I needed to hear. And the one I heard was from a fellow called Tom Brady. And he talked about um, how at 26 years of sobriety, he, he was in the greatest pain he'd ever been. And he just wanted to die. His wife of 11 years that he loved greatly had left him. Uh, she died the following year, I believe, in a car accident. He was suffering from various different diseases, heart, blood pressure, emphysema, various different things. And he just asked God on a regular basis, just God, I just don't let me wake up. And he was there in all this pain, and he came across a letter that Bill W. Thanks, Francis. That's just good timing. That Bill W. Uh, had written when he was 20 years sober. And Bill W., 20 years sober, was going into um, he was going into depression again. He suffered from terrible depressions. And he went, and I believe he talked to Father Ed Dowling, who was a friend of AA, a friend of Bill's, and he sort of said to him, you know, Father Dowling, what's going on here? You know, I'm, I'm doing everything. I'm going to the meetings, I'm putting out the chairs, and I'm putting away the ashtrays, and I'm doing all this, like sort of, it's not working. I'm going to depression. And Father Dowling said to him, he said, Bill, you're too dependent on AA to give you your sense of self-worth, basically. And Bill started to look at this. And he started to look at it, and he said that he realized that he had an almost complete dependence on people and what was going on in his life to basically give him his sense of self-worth. And he was being told that he needed to get this from God. And Bill's letter, which is really worth, well worth reading, you'll find it online, Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier you know, talks about how he had to sort of root this dependency out. I was listening to Tom Brady's tape, and he was talking about how he suffered from, it wasn't pride, he suffered from self-hatred. Huh? It was like, it was this, the opposite of pride. Is it, As he put it, it's like Narcissus looking at himself, in frowning at himself in the pool. And he could he couldn't take a compliment. He always looked for the negative. And you know, I I could do really well. I mean, if I did well in a meeting or at work or whatever this thing, that would be great. But then if somebody said anything to me, I remember once coming out of a meeting and the and the other lawyer was and she said she said Brendan that that went really well. You know, um, you did really good there. Like maybe talk a little less the next time. And that just hit me. I, that just made me go back to zero. I will never be any good. I always talk too much. It'll always be this sort of thing, whatever. And, you know, this hits me and it sort of takes me to zero. And, you know, pain. what recovery did was it's allowed me to stop going back to zero all the time. And stop, you know, it gives me a little bit of time to be able to deal with that and not to have to take other people's comments necessarily as, as criticism. But here's this fellow Tom Brady, and he's he, he's identifying this 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 inability of his to be at peace. And I was, I by this stage I was desperate about things, and I I was back here in Ireland at my parents' place, and I remember getting down on my knees and I prayed that the you know that God would take away my need for any particular woman, 
to make give me my sense of self-worth, that need that I'd had for all my life, that I would be free of that. And I went up by the river near where we live, and, and I got down on my knees again, and I prayed it again. And as I was coming back, you know, in Bill W.'s letter, he said that he knew that the solution was in the 11-step prayer. There's the part in the 11-step prayer where it says, God grant that I might seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, and to love than to be loved. And he knew the answer was in there, but he couldn't seem to get to that, you know, to the full freedom that it would bring. And as I was coming back, I suddenly realized that prayer is not a prayer about how to be a saint. You know, it sounds like it, you know, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace where there's hatred. Let me bring love, et cetera, et cetera. It's a prayer for freedom. Because if I'm thinking about what I can give instead of what I can receive, then if I receive nothing, it's okay because I've just, you know, the, the, the joy was in the giving. And and I started to listen to more and more speaker tapes about emotional sobriety. And I'm getting close to finishing, so I, I'll just cut through to the to, to the end of these. One of these was a, a rabbi, Shays. I, I, I have a real problem with the, with the pronunciation. But this he's a well-known rabbi, and he has it was obviously a friend of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he, you know, he talked about the serenity prayer and whatever. But he said something, he said that. The only way to self-validation is through God consciousness. And I was a little bit, oh, I said, not back again to the God thing, because I mean, I, yes, I'm working on this relationship. I now have a good relationship with higher power, but it's all back to the God. Does this mean I'm going to have to meditate for like some really extensive period? What does it mean? And then he said something which really helped. He said, God consciousness is when I accept myself as I am, you as you are and the world as it is today. And I thought, I can do that. I can do that. I have, what, what recovery has given me is acceptance of myself. I have severe ADHD, which somebody described as watching 20 TVs at the same time. I have no problem. It's like this. I can see all of you here on the Zoom. I have no problem with all of that. The problem is when I get into one small minute detail of an issue, and then I, I my my mind, I, I I turn my gaze to something else, and immediately I get trapped in that other thing. I had to put a number of alarms on here because yeah, I'm going to cut up now. Like I have a sponsor that I ring every day, supposedly, and I have alarm, you know, two minutes before. Now it's two minutes before I'm supposed to call him so that I, I won't forget to call. Because if, if I put it five minutes before I was supposed to call him, in that five minutes, it is pointless. I will remember three days later that I was supposed to call him because my attention span isn't like that. So I've had to learn to accept myself, but I've been able to accept myself because of this program. And the program, what the program does, and which this is, this is the thing which perhaps wasn't, you know, we, we, we find it hard to understand. We look at the steps on the wall and we think, how can that do anything? Each one of the steps requires me to change my way of thinking. And the cumulative effect of the changes of thinking brought about by the 12 steps is a spiritual awakening. And that's what sets us free. Anyway, thanks for letting me share. Hey everybody, David, sex addict. Um, Brennan, 
awesome. I could go on for hours. Um, I was, I was handed that tape from Tom Brady Jr. And that letter when I was 12 years sober in AA, um, I just celebrated, uh, 32 years. Um, and I didn't get sexually sober until I was 29 years sober. And, um, and that letter saved my life. Um, and, um, you know, for me, I, I always was like, yeah, I could do it in AA. I could do it in AA. And, and you mentioned hitting zero and, and starting from zero. And, and for me, that meant I needed to be willing to go to any program to get the, to get the, the solution. And I needed to go to SA, start from day one, get an SA sponsor, and admit that I was powerless and be a newcomer again. Um, and uh, so I love that. I love that. And I also love um, the what you mentioned in the beginning, that I have an allergy. I'm not like normal Hi. people, um, and I never will be. And um, that's why I keep coming. So thank you so much for reminding me of that. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, uh, David. Uh, Daniel. Yeah. Thank you so much for the share. I, uh, a lot, a lot for me to chew on and think about, but overall very encouraged. So thank you for that. I'm curious. What does your relationship with God look like now? Thanks. Um, I'm pretty okay with, you know, God's behavior. In relation to my life, at least, uh, my, my 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 relationship is, you know, things. I don't get agitated so much by stuff. You know, it's just it is what it is. Um, I have a real belief that there's there's a line in the big book that I take as my my motto. Really, it's like we have a new employer, being all powerful. He gives us what we need if we stay close to him and do his work well. So I try to stay close to my higher power, but you know my ways of staying close are were primarily originally you know just just program just doing program, um, but I think that I, I it's also I have a religious practice now, but I have also just my my the way I treat other people, um, you know it says practice these principles in all our affairs. In other words, live in accordance with how I believe my higher power would want me to believe, believe and act. And that's, you know, I mean, when I say that, it's, oh, man, I'm sure there's a few things you'd still like to change. But it's it, it just makes life so much easier. And one of the things that I have is I, I will say to people, look, I can't prove to you that there's a God. Uh, I can't prove to you there's a God at all, you know. But I know that for me, when I live in a way that I believe my higher power that I believe in would want me to live, my life goes better. <clears throat> it just goes better. <clears throat> and I was talking to my father about this, and one of the great gifts has been the ability to talk to other people about God. Um, but I was talking to my father about this, and you know he has questions himself as well, but he agreed that living a principled life, you know, is uh, the better way to go. It's just so much easier to be at peace with yourself. And 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 so I thank the God of my understanding for the peace it gives me. 
Thanks, Brendan. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, Lee. Hi, Brendan. Thanks. I like the, it's a great, great talk. Uh, one thing I uh, latched on to is uh, I relate in having a freight train mind that goes barreling down the tracks and it uh, rolls over other people and I don't listen long enough and I talk too much and I really have that uh, that significant issue that I've been making progress on. But I wondered, uh, you mentioned that early on. Where do you stand now with it? And how did you get there? I, I, I have a, one of those post-it notes. Um, and I had it beside my, my desk, or, you know, in, in, in the morning. And it says, God, please don't, please don't let it be about me today. Um, the best thing for me in the morning is to get up and do my, 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 my prayers, the fifth and seventh or the third and seventh step prayer I usually do. But I, I always go back to what we call the four considerations in step three. You know, on page 60 of the big book, just after, you know, it talks about, um, you know, I accept that I'm a, I'm a sexaholic and, and, and I can't cure myself, that no human power could, that God could and would if he was sought. And then it says, now we're at step three. Right? And, you know, which is where we, we turn our will and our life over to, to, you know, to God. And then it says, just how do we do that? And somebody taught me these. They came from a New York group in AA. And he said the first consideration was, and it says on page 60, it says the first requirement in order to turn my will and my life over to the first requirement is I have to believe that a life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with someone or something, even though my motives are good. So self-will, doing my what I want to do, like, you know, what comes into my head, like sort of this thing, that's a recipe for disaster. And the second consideration is on the top of page 62. And it says, selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the root of my problem. It doesn't say anything about lust or acting out. It says selfishness, self-centeredness. That's the root of my problem. You know, if I want to be free, if I want to be recovered, then I have to get free of the selfishness. So. And it says driven. You know, um, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they re retaliate. And I think it's Bob Darrell who sort of says, he says, like, note there, I'm not doing the driving. <laughs> I'm being driven. I'm sitting in the passenger seat and fear is taking me along. You know, I'm just I'm just there. I'm just like, you know, it's my fear is driving me, my self-delusion, my self-seeking, my self-pity. You know? And and what it's doing is because they're driving me, I'm crashing up against other people, and then they're retaliating against me. And I think I'm, you know, here it is. The third requirement is the next paragraph down. It says that you know, so our problems we see are primarily of our own making. And then I put it into the I form. Is it I am a severe case of self-will run riot, even though I don't think so. Even, you know, today, 14 years sober, I am a case of self-will run riot. I get up in the morning and I have plans for you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, I need to stop that. And it says, it says, above all, 
we must be rid of this selfishness, we must or it'll kill us. And that to me, that changed because I was doing the third step prayer, but I was feeling it was a little bit rote. I was doing it all the time. thinking, you know, I needed some more substance and that gives me the substance. I'm looking for freedom from my selfishness because my selfishness is going to kill me, if not physically, spiritually. It's take, it took me to that place where I was just so alone, you know, lost in this fantasy world and this sort of thing, whatever, and just, you know, and, and, and it goes on and it says that there seems to be no way to be free of that selfishness without God's help. So I have to have God's help. You know, now this changed step three for me because it wasn't me like going out. I want to be good or I want to have a great relationship with God. It's, I want to live. I want to live. I want to survive. And the next part of it at the bottom of page 62 is the fourth consideration. And that says, this is the how and the why. This is how to hand your will and your life over to, to God. It says, first, we have to pl quit playing God. It didn't work. You know, from now on in this drama of life, God's the director. He's the father. I'm the son. He's the principal. I'm this agent. So if he's the director, that means I need to wait for directions. Otherwise, I turn up on stage and I'm supposed to be playing the waiter, but I've got the princess. <laughs> I'm standing where the prince is supposed to be. Huh? I'm doing like this sort of thing. And he says, no, you're the waiter. And I'm saying, well, well, how about if I came in from this side? And if I said this and he said, would you ever just just do what you're told? Would you ever just do what you're told? And so my job is to get over and to sort of say, where are the instructions? And how do I get the instructions? I learned a process which they used to do back in the early days, the Oxford group. Yeah, when this is what Bill would have picked up and the other thing. And it's a thing to do with the four absolutes. You know, absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute love and absolute unselfishness. And so what I do in the mornings when I get around to it, and I don't get around to it every morning, but I try to, is before I go out and get involved with the world, before I go on the internet, before I start getting into my phone or anything like that, is do my prayer and then sit down with a, an A4 sheet of paper and write out whatever comes into my head. No editing, whatever's coming into my head. And, you know, when I first started off doing that, it was blue, black, this, that, 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 that just jumble, you know? Now, what comes into my head is breathe, relax, let go, let God, let be. Just and it'll get down there, and it'll at some stage. And if, if the word I comes up or the word me comes up, that's God, huh? And if God is sort of saying to me, Brendan, they say, I've got it under control, <laughs> it means I don't need you to control it. And most of that page usually is just telling me to slow down, chill out, it's okay, huh? And that's become like a really, really important part of the day. Because if God's got it under control, I don't have to be worried about it. I just have to play my part in whatever he's given me today. And sometimes all he needs me to do today is stay sober. Great. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Federico. Thank you, Francis, and thank you, Brendan, for that uh, for that share, and also for what you've just shared, uh, said. Uh, and um, yeah, because it, it does remind me as well, you know, because I struggle with that. You know, every if I'm not if you know if I'm not careful, if I'm not on the beam, I'm just going back towards control, towards fear, uh, and towards especially controlling others. You know, controlling my wife, controlling my kids, controlling the weather, 
uh, anything, you know, I, I think I'm controlling. So, um, yeah, thank you for that reminder. And thanks for your share. Thanks, Rico. Hamid? Hey, Hamid here, Vitalik from Ron. Thank you so much, Brendan, for your share. What you shared were what I really needed to hear currently in my life, dealing with people and different challenges in my life, especially with my relationship with my family. And it reminds me of the time when I was in my obligatory military service. I, after a week or so, I was so desperately tired there, especially as I was deeply in my addiction then. And one day, one of the commanders just collected us somewhere and he started talking about the feelings that we are experiencing right now. And he told everything about the different things that I was thinking during the days and feelings that I've been experiencing in that time. And he didn't give us any solution, but it was a big relief for me to hear that I'm not alone, to understand that what I'm experiencing is not is is something that others also experience, and I'm not alone in that situation, and I can be understood. Sometimes the solution is to be understood, be able to understand. So thank you so much for sharing those things. And my time is a, uh, getting over. And my question for you is, why are you still in a state? What kept you in a state for so much time? Thank you. I think that what what's kept what's part of what kept me here what was this thing is i'm, I'm very yeah. stubborn um and i uh i had a, a sponsor who was very directive and he would you know uh, it was very funny when, when when i first started working with this sponsor the people in my home group reckoned that we wouldn't last more than two weeks together he was ex-British military and I was an Irish rebel. Like they couldn't sort of see how the two of us had worked. It's just sort of say, like, this is not going to happen, yeah? And um, But I worked with him for about 12 years. And, you know, at the start, it was really painful at times. And he would give me directions that were, um, you know, I thought were nonsensical. And I thought that at my age, I was 50 years of age and I was being told, you know, things like, you know, Go to bed at 10 o'clock and lights out by 11. <laughs> you know, you're joking me, you know, but, but he was, he was, there was something about him that led me to believe he would be sober tomorrow. And I wanted that sort of, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want to be, you know, this thing of, we say, and I suppose it goes back to that recovering, recovered sort of debate. I don't want to be like sort of all the time recovering. You know, it's, ah, oh, it's a stress all the time. I want to be recovered. You know, I want to be happy. You know, it's like sort of if I'm going to climb a mountain, I'd like to climb to the top of the mountain. Huh? You know, I, I don't want to go to the bottom of the mountain and just look at it. You know, I want to sort of I want to climb that sort of thing. So I, I choose mountains that aren't too high, you know, because <laughs> so, otherwise I would force myself to go up like sort of things. But, you know, I, I want to I want to get everything that's in here and. At first, I came in out of desperation uh, in, into AA and then into this program. 
And I had, I had that target I wanted, which was to get my relationship back. But then what I realized as I, as I went along was that there was, it's in me. You know, it says it. We said it there in the third step. My problems of my, are of my making. Like I'm here because if I wasn't here, I would be making so many more problems for myself. I just be, you know, my life would be, I'm struggling with life. Instead of now, my brother said about me, he said to my father one day, we were at the table, he said, not everybody can live like Brendan. He was actually quite annoyed. <laughs> you know, like, like a leaf blowing in the wind. You know, and I'm going, what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? I have, a, you know, <laughs> I got a higher power. He gives me two jobs. Like, so this, you know, two great jobs. What am I supposed to do? Like, sort of, now what do I do? And, you know, yesterday... My son, I'm supposed to collect my son from the airport and I'm here and I'm clearing up the house and I want the house to be clean before he gets here, but there isn't enough time. I've doing it for three days. And so I get a phone call from my son to say his plane has been delayed. I said, okay, that works. <laughs> and when I picked up my son, I said to him, you know, like, sir, that was just my higher power. He was just so I could have the house cleaned up before you got here. You know, so these, everything, if you live like this, if you live like this, it would seem insane to everybody else on the outside world who are trying to control all the things. But when you see God working in your life all the times and the money shows up just when you need it and the person you need turns up when they need it and whatever, you get to a stage where you just look at life and you just say, man, you know, this is a blessing. This is a blessing, whatever's going on. You know, I have a line that I that I use a lot and sort of thing. And I say, it's like, I'm condemned. I'm a condemned person. I am condemned to be happy, joyous, and free, you know, with the money or without the money, with the woman or without the woman, or with the job or without the job. If I work this program and I have a higher power is going to give me what I need, then even if it's in the hardest of times, he's going to give me what I need. It's up to me how I look at it. It's like my, 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 my. My children, it took me time. I used to think that I was responsible for whether they were happy or whatever. And if they looked bored, I'd think it was my responsibility. And I have realized it's not my responsibility. Yeah? My responsibility is to do the things that I have to do as a father and this, that, and the other. And I give my children opportunities and I take them to a nice places. I do things. If they're bored, they're bored. <laughs> I'm not going to upset my day for it now. Huh? You know, and I think that's just. That's the way we're supposed to be. I'll finish just this, this, this one thing. Um, there was a, a, another one of these, when I was listening to this, Rabbi Shais, he was talking about um, Zusha, and he was like a Rebbe, and when he was dying, he, he was crying. And the people said to him, Rebbe, why are you afraid? Because I'm afraid of uh, judgment. And they said, but how can you be afraid of judgment? You're like a saint. And he says, you think that I'm afraid that when I get there, they're going to say, Zusha, why weren't you more like Moses? He says, I'm afraid when I get there, they're going to say, Zusha, why weren't you more like Zusha? Huh? And, and, and Dr. Bob, the founder of AA, his son ended up in, in Al-Anon. And he said one time, he said, you know, if there's two people who are the same, one of them is unnecessary. And, you know, both those things bring me to think that, like, I'm necessary. Brendan is necessary in God's world. Brendan with ADHD, you know, who talks too much, is necessary in God's world. I wasn't made to be John or Declan. I was made to be Brendan. So my job is to get on with being happy to be Brendan, you know. Thanks, Brendan. Okay, we got... 
just got a five minutes or so time for a couple more. I can see a couple of hands up. So, Gene. Hey, Brenda. I just came here to see you. I, I want to be with Brenda. That's the guy I want to be with. I want to hear Brendan. I wouldn't would miss it. I've had to miss your talks a couple of other times here lately. And I, I just had to be here. I love you, Brendan. Just wanted to pass on. And, and I love your experiences today. And I love your brain. You, you, you know, I'm not exactly like you, but I'm a lot like you. And, and I love you talking about yourself. Just carry on, young man. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. It's always great Thanks. to see you. Hello. <laughs> okay, and uh, for our final question, because we have to wrap sh shortly, Shaya. I can see a hand up. Shaya? Hey, Shaya. I think he may have, have gone because he's in his car. Okay, Shaya? I'll get back to him later. Are you there? Uh, yeah, this is me. Hi. Hey, Shaya, recovering sexaholic from Brooklyn, hey, New York. Brendan, thank you so much. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Shaya. Sure, yeah. We, uh, yeah, yeah, Brenda, we, we climbed a small mountain together. I hope we climb more. I guess my question to you, if you could elaborate a little bit more on, you know, I, I tie up my sobriety or lack of sobriety with whether I have a woman in my life or not. And it's just, it's just so difficult to let go of that expectations of, you know, I, I've proven I've been married three times and each one has been a washout. So, you know, factually, it hasn't worked. Having a woman hasn't kept me sober. Nonetheless, I, 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 I can't get out of that kind of headspace. So you could add a little elaboration to that. I appreciate it. I appreciate you always. Thanks. Hey, Shai. Yeah, very briefly, I could not have imagined it. And now I would be very, very cautious before I would get into a relationship again. The reason being... It's quite difficult living with me. You know, I had my daughter over recently. <clears throat> I hadn't seen her in five years. And um, we were walking in, in, we're in, in London. We're walking. And I, I, you know, I just crossed the road. You know, I'm like, sort of, okay, here, let's go. <laughs> and I, I said, going, no, no, you can't do that. You know, so I go down here, wait to see the satellites. And, you know, I'm taking that. And that's criticism, you see. <clears throat> we're in the shop and. My phone isn't working. And then I have to sort of use the other phone. <clears throat> I'm trying to transfer money. And she's about to help me. And I said to her, I said, look, take, you know, don't step any closer. Because <laughs> I'm trying, I can do this. So, And I realized if my daughter, who I love greatly and who is sort of loves me greatly, we said this thing on her. If I'm touching with her when she's just doing normal sort of stuff and this thing, whatever, how would I, how is it for anybody else to live with me? And you know, it's likely that it's difficult for them. And then when somebody lives with me, then they're going to be reacting to me because I make mistakes and I do stuff and I get criticism. So why would I want to bring that into my life? If it's not about the sex, why would I bring it into my life? I would like to have a relationship and I would like to have a relationship with somebody, but I'd like to have a relationship like my parents have. But maybe that's not possible because they were together for 60 years. And, you know, after 60 years, you've kind of rubbed a lot of the edges off. So before I would get into a relationship with somebody else, first of all, I have to be comfortable to be with myself. Otherwise, I have nothing to give except my dependencies. Secondly, I have to give up on the expectation of a relationship because if I've got the expectation of a relationship, then that's a premeditated resentment. 
And I actually, to, to get the emotional sobriety, I had to give up on the hope of a relationship as well, because I was, I was kind of feeling, if I'm saying I'm hoping for a relationship, I'm telling God that he hasn't got it right yet. Now, if God needs me to have a relationship, that relationship will appear in my life, but I don't have to go hunting for it. What I have to do, because every time I'm looking somewhere else for my happiness, I'm missing the happiness I already have. That'll do. Thanks, uh, Brendan. Buddy, do you want to go? You've got 30 seconds. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, Brendan, I just want to say hi. I'm Buddy, recovered sexaholic. Um, I, I just, you had said something about being outside of yourself, looking at yourself having relation with your wife at the time. And I thought about that. I'd met my wife in AA. Um, and and we got married. And after I had come in the essay, I had, had to disclose all that stuff, my fantasy while being with my wife. And and, and and at one point in there, I remember saying to my wife, Debbie, I just want you to know I have both feet in this marriage. And she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, I'm really glad to hear that. But you need to know, I made that decision 17 years ago on our wedding day. <laughs> and I just want to shrivel down and hide under the bed. That's all. That's my minute. Thanks, Brendan. Hey, buddy. Great to see you. Thanks, Philip. Okay, cheers, everybody. Thank you. Brendan, we just have one message in chat for you. And they've asked that I do read this, so... Uh, it's from India, from Rashna. It's late there, so she can't speak. Um, wow, it's a total blessing to hear you recover it in such a beautiful manner. It seems God is speaking through you tonight. I got so many answers through you. Amazing, wonderful, heart-touching share. I'm bowled over. So grateful. Thank you so much. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.